Yes, Accountsware podcast is supported by Sage One. To find out more about how Sage One supports accountants, visit sageone.com forward slash accountants. Hello and welcome to another podcast from your friends at Accounting Web. I'm Tom Herbert, the business editor on the site, and thank you for tuning in. Uh, you join us at time of recording in November 2016, and it's fair to say that we are a nation divided. Leave or remain, making tax digital or making tax difficult, Ed Balls or, well, anyone else on that dancing show. But here on Accounting Web, we believe that there's one thing that can bring unity where there's division, light where there is dark and that's tax policy. So, to discuss how tax can be used to heal the country, I'm joined by a panel of tax experts. Rebecca Cave is Consulting Tax Editor for Accounting Web. Jolian Maugham is one of the country's most prominent tax barristers. Edwin Huang is a leading tax advisor for Argentum Consulting. And last, but certainly not least, Prem Sikha, who is Professor of Accounting at Essex Business School. Welcome all. Uh, let's get started. So, in the first section, each panellist is given two minutes to outline how they would use tax policy for the benefit of society. Then I will open the floor to panellists to debate some of the points raised in the introductory statements. I'm drawing lots for who is going to speak first, and it is Edwin. Okay, Edwin, uh, start when you're ready. Right, I think if we start with looking at the, the current system, uh, there is a tendency for government to tend to tinker with the current system. So speaking as a tax practitioner, I would urge the government to try and keep things simple. Don't continually tinker with things. And if we look at the recent changes on capital gains tax, entrepreneurs relief and uh, how that's happened. And a little while back, the 0% corporation tax on Gordon Brown. But looking more widely, um, I think it's imperative to decide what tax policy is about and where government actually wants to spend its money. Because there's many areas of spending that's uh, economically productive, but also politically and um, <clears throat> desirable from a welfare point of view. The, uh, I think the OECD has said only about 20% of government spending is economically productive, but in today's society, not everything can be geared towards economic production. Um, if you look at welfare spending, it's, that, that's just a, a cost of the society that we live in. So <clears throat> tax policy needs to be looked at broadly to see where the right sort of areas of spending are and what can generate uh, the best returns, however, however we find returns for society. I know there's a need for infrastructure spending um, and that <clears throat> Certain types of infrastructure spending is is good. Others is is simply a white elephant. But uh, essentially, we need to look at uh, how how everything hangs together as a whole, rather than politicians being tempted just to say, oh, something must be done, and everybody leaps on their own hobby horse. So whilst I don't have any particular uh, answers to uh, the question of how tax policy can be used for the benefit of society or for businesses. Uh, I think that there is a, a great need for this whole area to be looked at from a fundamental uh, beginning rather than saying, oh, this is something we've always done. Let's just continue with it. 
Fantastic. Thank you, Edwin. That's your two minutes. And that's my contribution for now. Wonderful. Thank you, Edwin. And next out of the hat is Prem Sikha. Right, uh, start when you're ready. Uh, okay, right. Here it goes. Uh, hello, everyone. I think there are three things that we need to think about. One is that there is a huge surge in income and wealth inequalities uh, that the government needs to address. Uh, seems that even in the times of recession, the top 1% of the wealthy have gained uh, quite a lot, while people at the bottom are being left behind. Then there is the issue of the stagnant incomes of the middle class, who can't even now afford to buy a house. That needs to be addressed. Then there is the issue about providing long-term uh, economic stability and growth. So these are the three things the government needs to address. Now, there is no magic uh, bullet uh, for it. The kind of things which we should be thinking about, I believe, are obviously things like progressive taxation. But progressive taxation itself has its limits. It can't address the historical accumulation of wealth. So that uh, still is an issue. But I think we need to raise the personal allowances. And the principle should be the personal allowance must equal at least the minimum wage. So because minimum wage is minimal uh, to start with. So therefore, uh, uh, th that is what the personal allowances should equal. Nobody on the minimum wage should pay any income tax or national insurance contributions. And I have recently been talking to lots of uh, pensioners, and it is hard to see how anyone can survive on a state pension, uh, which we have at the moment. Many people simply are unable to put away for the state uh, for a second pension as well. Uh, so we need to bring pensions in line with the minimum wage uh, as well. That has to be an agenda in terms of. Uh, Finding uh, the funds, I think it is very fashionable, and I'm doing it as well, talking about how revenues might be raised. But I think we also need to look at how the money is spent. At the moment, the government gives about 1,100 plus tax reliefs, and we know very little about what they actually achieve. For example, uh, we've been giving the entrepreneurs uh, the, uh, capital gains tax relief. It's not quite clear what kind of uh, economic objectives it uh, achieves. Yeah, uh, so yeah. that may need to be looked at. The same could be said for the patent box. It, it, there's hardly much evidence that has stimulated uh, innovation in the UK. So that seconds. would need to be looked at. Ten seconds, Prem, if that's okay. Uh, okay. So, so, so I think we need to look at the reliefs and also the vast amount of subsidies that we pay to the corporate sector to generate resources for long-term investment. So I'll stop there. Fantastic. Thank you, Prem. Next up is Jolian. We'll start whenever you're ready. Um, I've got um, four ideas. I've got a, a, a big idea. I've got a cultural idea. I've got an immediate idea. And I've got a, uh, a, a practice idea. Um, the big idea is um, that we will need, um, at some stage in the future, a wealth tax. Um, there is no other way that society is going to be able to cope with uh, a trend that will see uh, the ever greater accumulation of wealth in the hands of an ever smaller number of people. And that trend is going to accelerate um, when 
robots steal our jobs to use the the, the fashionable cash phase de jour um, we need a tax policy that that responds to that well which is not too far off uh, and um, uh, it will lead because the ownership of those intellectual and technical properties will be concentrated in the hands of a small number of people um, to be a wealth tax and income tax won't do it um, and uh, we may well decide that the right way to spend the fruits of that wealth tax is through a universal basic income. So that's my big idea. My cultural idea um, is that we need to get much, much better uh, about how we talk about tax. Um, everybody across the political spectrum, left and right, has come to talk about tax as being a thing which is a bad thing. Um, so the Labour Party banged on and on and on about the bedroom tax uh, and what it uh, was intending to do uh, through the use of that technology is um, recognise that the spare room uh, subsidy was a, a bad thing and it used the language of tax to tar it as a bad thing. That's a desperately unhelpful way to confirm people in their suspicions that tax is a bad thing. We need to recognise uh, and recognise in our language uh, that it funds um, schools, hospitals, the infrastructure that business relies on. It, it, it funds all of the public goods uh, and we need to get better about talking about it. Fantastic. The, uh, Julian, that's uh, two minutes. Thank you very much. And uh, finally, uh, Rebecca, last but not least. Thank you. Well, I think I agree with uh, that the tax system um, has a lot of faults and its main function really ought to be to raise money for the government to spend and not really to uh, change behaviours or be used as a stick. Uh, I think that uh, the tax revenue really should be directed towards goals that need to be set in advance. And I think there are about six or seven broad goals like long term jobs, decent housing, inspiring education, reliable transport systems, fast broadband and well funded health service and social care. And I've added to that clean air, clean rivers and clean energy. Um, but how to fund this? Um, one of the things that I think is going wrong with the tax system at the moment is reducing corporation tax down to ridiculously low levels. So as a race to the bottom, I think the corporation tax ought to be kept at the level that it is. And possibly we go back to the system where larger companies pay um, a higher rate and smaller companies pay um, a lower rate of corporation tax. Uh, previously, that used to be split on a uh, profit basis. I think this could be more easily done looking at the size of the company based on the number of employees so that uh, companies with, say, less than 50 employees pay corporation tax at, say, 20 percent, whereas larger companies pay at a higher rate of, um, say, 25 and I've got some ideas for stimulating investment. I agree with, uh, I think it was Edwin uh, or Bren uh, that was saying that we need to stimulate investment. Some of these areas, uh, such as let businesses spend um, in areas um, to improve the lives of their workers, such as allowing them to build housing for their workers, like the Victorians 
used to, you know, for example, look up the Bourneville village that the Cadbury family built or um, the Saltaire village near Bradford. Uh, large corporations could be uh, encouraged to to build houses, of course, with certain standards. Uh, Ten seconds, Rebecca. Perhaps capital allowances ought to be brought back for investments in factories, warehouses and housing for workforces. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Rebecca. Okay, so um, I'll open up the floor then and uh, see what people made of that. There's there's a lot of agreement i think from the sounds of it in terms of um in terms of sort of spending i'm sure Keynes would be very pleased if he were a podcast fan but uh yeah um so does anyone uh, would anyone like to jump in um i have to say i'm i i perhaps surprisingly uh, don't support um the raising of personal allowances um uh, or indeed the raising of the national insurance contributions threshold. Those are um, measures that are extremely expensive, but that's not my objection to them. My objection to them is that the more we narrow um, the tax base, the less sustainable that tax base becomes. What we end up doing is resting um, the entirety of our ability to fund public goods on the strength of a very cyclical and at the moment rather imperiled uh, city. It's just not good governance. I also have this problem with it. I think unless people do actually pay tax, um, they don't feel uh, properly engaged in the compromises that um, running a government necessarily involves. There isn't a limitless amount of cash. uh, And I think people need to feel as though they have a stake in those spending decisions. Right. Does anyone, would anyone like to jump in on that? Uh, yeah, can I? Sorry, go on, Rebecca. I, I, I agree with that, actually. Um, I think that expanding the personal allowance, it just benefits people higher up the income threshold and not those at the very bottom. Um, people at the bottom of the income threshold are already not paying tax because they're within the personal allowance threshold anyway. I mean, raising perhaps the national insurance limit so it aligns with um, the personal allowance might be a good idea. But I don't think the personal allowance should be raised much further than it is now. Uh, Prem? Well, I think uh, we should raise them for uh, to, take, uh, to, to make sure that people earning, at the moment, if they're earning a minimum wage of about 12000 13000 so that they don't pay uh, any income tax, and obviously we're going to arrange it in, a, in such a way that people on the higher end don't really benefit those increased personal allowances. But I would also agree that we should broaden the tax base. Wealth tax is one example. Financial transaction tax is another. We should be looking at land value tax, which uh, I greatly favor. But the other point I raised was we also need to look at how we spend the money. So we have about 1,140 tax reliefs and basically no idea what economic objectives they achieve. We also have an extensive welfare program for corporations. We give subsidies, whether it is to railway companies or BT or film companies. Uh, It does not seem very sensible uh, to be giving money to Walt Disney to make films. It's not quite clear that that has actually stimulated any great economic activity uh, in the UK. So I would be keen to look at 
how the money is spent as well as how the money is raised. And we should really be investing in our biggest asset, that is the people. So therefore, you know, Hillary Clinton is saying, well, those Americans with income of less than $100,000 will not, uh, their children will not have to pay any university fees. Well, we seem to charge extensive university fees and thereby disable a lot of people from acquiring newer skills. So I think I would generally be keen to abolish the university fees as well or come to some kind of a halfway house arrangement, perhaps to make sure the rich pay something. So I think we need to look at the whole range of things if we want to uh, create a long-term economic growth possibilities mm. and social stability. Thank you, Prem. Uh, Edwin, I'd like to bring you in here um, as a sort of tax advisor. You, um, you know, you must come across um, a vast range of different different sort of uh, tax reliefs or schemes. Um, was there anything that caught uh, caught your ear, as it were? Jerry, um, there is some uh, political incentive for all of the otherwise they wouldn't be there in the first instance. Um, I agree that another look should be had at the range of uh, tax reliefs. Um, one, one thing I, I don't think that the, the revenue do is actually calculate how much uh, relief is gained for various different types of tax reliefs. So if you look at inheritance tax business property relief, quite often that, that's either 50% or 100% relief. Um, a lot of that is simply not recorded by HMRC, so they have no idea, as Pem was saying, how much uh, tax it saves or, or, or doesn't save. Um, but I think looking more widely at some of the taxes, uh, certain taxes don't generate that much money. Uh, I, I agree with Rebecca in that tax policy should be focused towards raising uh, revenue for, for the government, but uh, the problem with some of those lower generating taxes is that they are seen as politically expedient like corporation tax or inheritance tax they don't raise anywhere the same amount as the the more general taxes like national insurance VAT and income tax but so there's always going to be a tension between how much tax generates and whether it's seen to be politically desirable could I come in here and suggest a tax that's been introduced recently that seems to have been surprisingly successful, which is the ATED on uh, the uh, annual tax for envelope dwellings um, on higher value properties. Now, this now applies to properties worth only half a million. I think that the ATED could be used more imaginatively because it, it is a wealth tax, really. It could be applied to all empty residential properties to encourage people to occupy those properties. What do you think? Well, certainly we'd have to change the definition of uh, the envelope dwellings. Uh, if you're going to start to tax empty dwellings, because most of those won't be within some sort of wrapper. But uh, I, yes, I, I do, do agree that there's probably a lot of empty dwellings that are owned simply for investment purposes, where the owners are looking to simply gain um, by keeping it pristine, uh, that that really shouldn't be allowed and, and quite negligible, uh, certainly at the higher rent scale. The number of um, empty dwellings um, is actually very, very modest indeed, uh, in London at any rate. It's in the tens of 
the low tens of thousands. Uh, councils already have power to uh, increase council tax on those unoccupied dwellings, but it's a power that they don't much exercise. Um, one thing that we certainly ought to be thinking about is uh, the regressive nature of council tax. If you're in the bottom quintile of households, you uh, give up a double digit percentage of your income paying council tax bills. I mean, it's an extraordinarily regressive tax for those in the top quintile. It's, I think, um, less than or about two percent. For those in the bottom quintile, it's 13 and a half percent. It's a staggeringly regressive tax that, that just goes completely under the radar. Fantastic. Right. Um, I am going to have to um, draw it to a close there. Unfortunately, I'm sure we could talk for hours about this, but uh, it's been a really fascinating discussion. Rebecca Cave, Edwin Huang, uh, Jolie Morm and Prem Sicker, thank you very much for your time. You can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Acast or your pod provider of choice. And uh, thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. This Accountaware podcast is supported by Sage One. To find out more about how Sage One supports accountants, visit sageone.com forward slash accountants.